Hello, world. Welcome to another week of Golf Subpar. Colt knows Drew Stoltz recapping the 149th Open Championship where Colin Morikawa is the champion golfer of the year. So, ladies, this kid just continues to impress. I mean, you just look at it. He, he makes history, it seems like, every time he tees it up. But picks up his second major championship in just his eighth start. Yeah, we, we've been, uh, since he came out, we've been comparing him to Victor Hovland and Matthew Wolf. Those are the guys he gets compared to. Uh, throw that out the window. He's in a different stratosphere from those two guys right now. No disrespect to them. They've been incredible since they got on tour. But he has launched himself into rarefied air. I mean, the names he's being compared to now are Tiger Woods and you know, major like Jack Nicholas and these type of guys, like he's in a different stratosphere right now. And dude, it is so fun to watch him golf because so many events on the PJ tour is just bomb and gouge, bomb and gouge, hit it as hard as you can. That's the whole thing. And then you go to Lynx golf and you can't really do that. And you get to watch like shot making and, and precision, you know, take over. And God, does he, hit, I mean, his irons, dude, I don't know that I've ever seen since Tiger, maybe from 180 out more shots that end up dead pin high. And, and going at the flag a lot of the times, too, like rolling right by. I mean, he's just unbelievable what he does, Tita Green. I mean, he's being compared to Ben Hogan, which is arguably the greatest ball striker of all time. Brandel Chambly did an awesome, you know, his release pattern. You know, after impact on the halfway up, they sh he showed him versus Hogan, and it's pretty much identical, which explains why Colin Morikawa does hit these iron shots that are unbelievable. But I told you earlier today, I mean, when Adidas sends him his pants, they got to, like, let the crotch out, I think, and customize these things because the man has some stones. Let him hang. There is no doubt about it. I mean, you look at this. I mean, when things are going good, all, all well and good. No problem at all. But when you get jammed up is when you really see what kind of heart and how your nerves are. And, you know, he missed the green on number 10 coming in with a wedge, which was a very, very poor shot. And, you know, you can say he drew a good lie, whatever you want, but he still hit an unbelievable pitch shot. And he hit the pitch shot that you had to hit. You had to miss long, and that's what he did. He hit it to 10 feet, made the par putt coming back. He made the huge birdie putt on 14 from below the slope, which is where we thought things were about to get tight. We're like, okay, here's here's the only gimme birdie hole, and he's going to mess it up. Ends up making birdie. Then you get to 15, which is the hardest hole on the course. He misses it left, which is dead. Can't do it over there. Tall grass. Very, very dangerous pitch shot where if he comes up short, it comes right back into the tall stuff. Easily could have just seen him blast it 20 feet by. I mean, he had a pretty aggressive one, but, perfect. but he yeah. hit the smart one, still went 10 feet by once again, but once again, just buried it right in the middle, and I'm like, man, this kid, he's got it. There's there's not a moment that's too big for him. Yeah, he doesn't freak out. It's weird for a kid that's 24 years old who's only played in eight of these things to just do it like so nonchalantly, but you brought up the, the you know, 10, 14, 15. Those are the big putts that stand out in that golf tournament, and it's, you know, for so long, the narrative's been, oh, Colin Morikawa, not a very good putter. And if you look at him, you know, statistically, he's like 170-something in putting. It's amazing that he can go in and win golf tournaments, being that that's where he falls in the putting standings right now. But, like, he doesn't have to be great because he gives himself so many opportunities. But if he just finds a way, like, this week, the fact that he was rolling it so well, zero three putts for the entire week. Number I one. think it takes the pressure off. Yeah, he's number, number one, one which is, I mean, from 170 to one, that's crazy. But when you're putting it like that and you have that confidence – it takes so much pressure off his short game. Like if he's having a bad putting week and he's in those situations, maybe you try to hit the perfect chip that rolls up there dead to two feet, but you maybe mess it up and it comes back to your feet. But he was just took his medicine, blasted out there and made those big putts. I mean, it looked a lot like what Tiger Woods used to do when he would get in trouble. Just give me a chance to make it. And Colin did it, man. If he starts putting like even average, I mean, there's nowhere he can't go. He's still plenty. He's long enough. He's not one of the bombers, but especially on those firm fairways out there, like he's getting it out there still too. Listen, I mean, if, I'm not ever going to compare him to Tiger Woods. I don't think that's fair to Tiger Woods or to the other player who's getting compared to him because Tiger was just on a whole other planet. But when you watch him play, it does remind you a lot of him because, like, listen, Tiger could move it, but how often did he hit driver? He was methodical. He thought his way around a golf course. 
I mean, at one of the Open Championships he won, I think he hit three drivers the entire week. Like, he just thinks his way around. And when I see Colin Moore at Cowell play, that's what I see. You know, he talked about afterwards how he wants to know everything. He wants to know every detailed golf course, where the hump is here, where it is over here. And he just, he outsmarts guys around the golf course. He's 24 years old, but he might have the best mental game on the PGA Tour. And it might not even be close. Yeah, he looks flatlined out there. I'm sure underneath the surface, there's a lot going on, but he looks flatlined. And that would be like, my comparison with Tiger was that like, for years and years, I mean, we saw Tiger do this over, you know, years and years, but that's what he did in major championships. You had a 10-footer that he needed to make to keep the cushion, to keep a lead or take a lead or whatever. He made it like every single time. And when he, when he did mess up, he took his medicine, gave himself a chance, and then he made those. And that was what Colin Morikawa did. Like 14, I thought, was the biggest one because Spieth had just come off birdie there, got to within one. If Colin doesn't bury that, all of a sudden he sees that. I mean, anything can happen there. And he made that one on 14, which, by the way, was humming. Yes. Had some pace on that. That would have been a little tester coming back, but... I mean, God, he just in the major championships when he's given himself a chance. And both of his wins have come from behind, too. I mean, it's, it's, he skews the benchmark for every other young kid coming out because he's doing it, making it look so easy and doing it so young that now when we see the other young kids come out, we're like, oh, why aren't you winning already? Colin did it. You know, like, and he, he just skews the benchmark. He does all the right things. I mean, he plays beautiful golf. His, you know, the, the ceremony afterward, trophy presentation. I mean, he just says all the right things. He, he like deflects all the attention off him and gives credit. To the am- low amateur, Matthias Schwab, his caddy. You know, it tells everyone in the gallery, just give thanks to the person next to you because we're thankful to be here. Nothing about him, how great he is or anything like that. It's just, it's unbelievable. I feel like he's not human, especially at 24 years old. I know how we were at 24 years old and how we are now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to stop at 24, bro. Not not near as mature as him, but man, it's, it's so cool. But I was very happy to see because I tweeted afterwards. I said, you know, the Claret Jug probably if it could talk, would be like, thank God I get away from no. Shane Lowry for a little bit because he has just abused me for two years. Uh, here's Colin Morikawa, a little, little different head on his shoulders, probably doesn't like to party quite as much as Shane Lowry. He's gonna, the Claret Jug's going to get some nice deserved rest this year. But afterwards in his press conference, he talked about it. He's like, I can't wait to have a drink out of this thing. It's going to be great. I got some Snapchats from Victor Hovland last night. They were getting amongst it, so he's good. They were having if some you, time. If you win a major and a, and a trophy that's – drinkable out of and you don't drink out of it then that's a problem but he said something in his interview too like you know i'm always looking forward i don't want to like rest on what i've accomplished so far but like he said maybe i take a few more days this time and enjoy it so yeah take a few days enjoy that thing because what you're doing is special and and in terms of what you said about you know how he handles himself in the media there's another guy in the field this week who might want to be calling up Colin and getting some pr lessons from him because uh bryson continues to just shove his foot directly into his mouth and attempts to swallow that thing at every opportunity. Yeah. I mean, first off, Colin Morcow, congratulations. You're the champion golfer of the year. Bryson DeChambeau, listen, I don't know what's going on in that head of yours, but it's it's, it's not good right now, Sleaze. I mean, when you have a company <laughs> that pays you a lot of money, you're the face of their company, and you absolutely just shit all over them in a media after a round where you played bad. It, it had nothing to do – you say the driver sucks. Well, as we've talked about in our other stuff, the driver didn't suck at Wingfoot. It didn't suck when you were hitting over the pond at Bay Hill and just killing everyone. But now, all of a sudden, your miss hits aren't going straight. Uh, no, no shit. shit. That's called golf, <laughs> bud. They're, they're not my, supposed to. Yeah, my miss hits didn't go straight for a long time, which is why I shut her down. But that, that's what happens. Exactly my point. Like, I didn't hear any bitching when you were winning. I didn't hear any bitching when you were, you know, hoisting U.S. Open trophies. Like you said, blasting it over the lake at Bay Hill. Everything was pretty much perfect then. Now you start playing some bad golf, and you're looking to pass the buck to somebody else. He shot else. 71 the first Look day. at the so last, like, couple tournaments he's played in. Like, he goes and throws... Uh, you know, Cobra Puma under the bus at the British. Not a good look. 
Then he goes and he's the defending champion at the Rocket Mortgage, yeah. who's another massive sponsor of his, and he doesn't even give press afterwards. It's like, dude, don't bite the hand that feeds you. Like, you aren't entitled to these things. And I, I was... I mean, Cobra did have a response from that with uh, one of ben their Ben Showman came out. And he came the, out with the PJ some PJ Tour, yeah. I mean, he... I, I was happy. I texted Showman. I was like, dude, c- good job. I'm happy you s- stood up and said it because he needs to treat the people that are around him much, much better, in my opinion. I mean, you look what... I, we don't know the whole detail of what happened with Tim Tucker. We might soon. But things aren't going very well for him right now, and I think he needs to take a look in the mirror and try to figure things out, change things for sure, because when you have P- other PGA Tour players coming at you that aren't Brooks Kepka, when you have Justin Thomas and Jason Duffner... Justin Thomas, who's one of the most well-liked guys in golf, coming at you and saying the things he's saying, man, it's it's just not a good look for you right now. Yeah, you got that's when you got to take a look at them. I mean, we got Justin Thomas, like you said, one of the most liked guys on the PJ Tour. Doesn't take shots at anyone unless it's just a playful jab or something like that. Coming out and tweeting, Jason Duffner, all these guys. Like, as soon as you start pissing off Switzerland, you know you probably fucked up a bit. And I think he needs to just run, like, wind this thing back. Someone needs to get in his camp and, and be a PR guy. And as soon as he signs his scorecard, give him 10 minutes. Be like, okay, Bryson, here's what we're going to go say at the podium. Here's how we're going to say it. You're going to smile. So, you're going to do this. Just don't shoot. Like, people have been trying to give him the benefit of the doubt for a long time, including us. Like, we've at times come to his defense. Like, look, everyone relax. You know, it's not a big deal. But, dude, it's just over and over and over. It gets to the point where you just you can't defend it anymore. you got to take some accountability. But, I mean, I, I agree with you. Like, he does need to work on this. But at the end of the day, you're an adult as well. Like, Come yeah, on. there should be some common sense, like, but obviously it ain't things, happening. One of my favorite things I ever had, we've ever had happen on this podcast was before we sat down with Podrick Harrington. I said, Podrick, you know, at the end of the day, if you say anything you don't like or something like that, you're allowed to edit it out. He goes, if I say it, I mean it, and I'm fine, and I'm comfortable with it. I'm like, perfect. I love that. And the fact that he comes out and, and Bryson DeChambeau says the things he does, whether it be about his caddy, a golf course, or, or his club manufacturer, it's just, man, I, I wouldn't have been one bit surprised if, Cobra Puma said, you know what, we're just going to part ways with this. And I don't think they'd be out of their minds to do it. I mean, you look around, you go to a golf tournament, I'm out there too. You look around, what do you see? You see eight-year-old kids dressed in orange Puma, and you got 40-year-old men dressed in orange Puma. The, Ricky Fowler moves the needle. He sells product. He put he increases your revenue for, for Puma Cobra. I don't know how many guys are out there buying single-length clubs. You know, I don't know how many guys are wearing that little whatever hat you call it, news hat or newsroom hat or whatever the hell that thing's called. I don't see too many people wearing that. So it's like, at what point is, is the juice not worth the squeeze here? Like, this dude's just too much too much problem than he's and worth. And listen, in my opinion, like, I think he is very good for golf. What he has done, how he has transformed his game and transformed the game of golf, I think is fascinating, and it's awesome. It's just, you got to change the way you treat the people around you, in my opinion. It's just, it's, it's, it's not good. And, you know, hopefully things turn around. Like, I'm not, he doesn't need to just change who he is because that's what, part of what has made him great. But when you go in the media and start shitting all over the people that are behind you, that's when you get a problem. These are the guys falling all over themselves trying to make sure you got everything you need. They're sending in 10 different drivers, tweaking everything you need, building your clubs exactly the way you want. These are the guys in your camp and you're going and and throwing it at them. Like, he doesn't need to change how he golfs or any of that. Like, that's fine. You want to be the scientist guy? That's all great. That's part of the reason what makes him, you know, kind of interesting. But dude, it's just, if you're trying, it's like he's just trying to sabotage himself Mm -hmm. in terms of like his reputation. Well, on a much more positive note, our guy Jordan Spieth made a hell of a run at the title he was he was up there you know till the very end made a great run on sunday ends up finishing second lose by two it's just so good to see jordan spieth back and playing well especially at the biggest stage like the open championship 
you know, I, I know he's disappointed he didn't get the job done, but from where he has come in the last two years, it's really good to see. I love. I, I think the Open Championship is such a good spot for Jordan Spieth being there. Like, you kind of get away from technique. You start hitting shots, and you throw it all out because it's just more creative, and it's not as just A to B, you know, fly the ball to the hole every single time. And we didn't get the weather that we wanted. I know yeah. you uh, – dude, I was – I want 25-mile-hour winds. I want, I want some drizzle. I want some rain. You know, I want this thing to play like a – like an open championship we didn't get that but it still just feels like that type of golf brings the best out of jordan speed he turns off like the technical side and turns on the creative side and that's why i love Lynx golf so much we don't get enough of it but like take the bomb and out of quite look at those, those two guys at the top i mean jordan speed's always good out there Kamal morikawa best iron player you know most creative plays it extremely smart like you got the two guys that deserve to be up there yep but at the end of the day colin morikawa is your champion golfer of the year so cool to see can't see where this takes him from here, more majors. Obviously, he's got the Olympics coming up. Going to be really cool to see, you know, what kind of numbers he ends up when his career is over. But Slee's our guest this week. Another man who hoisted a trophy very recently. Another major. Vinny Del Negro won the American Century Championship up at Lake Tahoe. You were there. I mean, this is a major on the celebrity oh, circuit. Yeah. It is huge. This guy's played in it 20 times. I don't know what his best finish was before, but he never really been in contention i think he had two top tens maybe in those last 19 events yeah. going into this one and here it is the biggest one of them all and he gets the job done beats john smoltz in a playoff to win the american century championship vinnie del negro underdog story of the year i mean i think he was going off at 75 to one That's when, correct. i mean when we you and i were talking about it's like you got your four or five guys that you, you can name right off the, like these are the guys smoltz being one of them romo being one of them marty fish um mark Mulder. like those uh, are the Annika guys Sorenstam that, that was playing dominate Annika <laughs> Sorenstam, who i thought she was going off at 12 to one and i was like oh my like that's a layup and she she came damn close She's to doing it but like thousand times on yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But Vinny's not the guy you immediately think of. But you and I play a lot of golf with him down here, and he's good. The one bugaboo he's got is that that driver can get a little crooked. Well, in desert golf, that's a bit of an issue. But out there, like, A, he doesn't need driver all the time, and B, if you miss it, you go and hit it out of the trees, and, you know, you, it's not like you're reloading or things like that. But, uh, I mean, you, we're sit down with him here, and you can see just how much that meant to him. I know well, it's a it fun emotion, event, but he's Yeah, an big emotional for him. win for him yeah. with his father passing. But, I mean, just such a cool story. I mean, here's a guy, you know, who, who's just an extremely solid – NBA player played against the best. I mean, got to go up against Michael Jordan. You know, played in San Antonio for Coach Popovich. Uh, just, just had a great career, and now he's going to be a force at this American Century. It seems like. Yeah, I mean, a guy that left his NBA career and then got into coaching for a mm -hmm. while too. I mean, but he's really. I mean, we see him out there every day. I go out there, Vinny's out there practicing, Loves hitting balls, it. doing. I mean, he's he gets after it. So. Yeah, this is a fun event. There's a lot of grab ass up there. There's a lot of if you if you want to have fun and put golf on the side burner, you can absolutely do that. But then you got the guys that like lock in and want to win, and he's one of them. I was shocked when y'all told me that there were people practicing after the rounds. Dude, a lot. I, I couldn't believe that. A lot. There's more guys, and I think some of them will get on camera and be like, "Yeah, hey, I'm here to mess around and have a good time." And I think so. A lot of them care more than you know. But like, dude, after the rounds, and like I was finishing up and walking back, there was like ten guys on there. I'm like, God, man, it's. 5.30, you know, you got casino 200 yards away. Maybe go get after it. But on the other side of that coin, you go into the uh, blackjack room at about 11.30 at night. There's also a bunch of them in there, too. So there's, there's two that. sides to that coin. Yeah, I have a fan. Of, I have a feeling our man Sir Charles might have been in there. He might have stumbled around yeah, a couple times. Actually, I'll tell you this. I was playing blackjack. Charles walked in for the first time. First time I'd actually seen him on property the entire time. And, I mean, dude, the place... Every block, every table, guys standing up, pictures. I mean, the mob that came over. He had like three security. It was like Elvis had just walked in. Like Chuck, it takes a backseat to nobody. His, in his terms head of security that guy, James. There. Mm, there were some dudes I wasn't. I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna rush Chuck and try to give him a hug. Well, I can tell you this. I know one of the most popular items 
all those guys got in their bag up at Tahoe is Rock Ford, the greatest speaker you can possibly have on the golf course sleeves. You and I use it. We get, we get amongst it with this thing. I had it all weekend out, blaring it around Pine Canyon. Got the strongest magnet possible. No matter what pothole you hit, no matter what curb, while you're driving through the shit looking for your ball, this thing is not going to bounce off. And I know your favorite part, because you got the transfusions going everywhere. Waterproof mm. and drink proof. You hit a little speed bump, you hit a bump in the road, boom, pops up, gets on the speaker. Don't you worry about it. Rock Form's got you covered. You have the little, the new special release, Birdie Juice. I had the Birdie Juice there, one rocking. Keep your eyes peeled on our social media. We're going to be doing a giveaway. We got a handful of those coming out there, so you can get your hands on that. But, dude, there's just no way to play golf anymore without the form, without the Rock Form yeah. in the building. And you get the little bird up there helping you make Tweety Birds around. What more do you need? They're fantastic. You can also pair two of them together if you want to really get it loud and piss <laughs> off some groups around you. It's fantastic. If you're up in the mountains playing, you lose your cell phone service, no problem at all. It's got an SD card that stores up to 5,000 songs. So you're just going to be partying all day. Go check it out. Go to rockform.com. That's R-O-K-F-O-R-M.com. And enter code SUBPAR for 25% off. Again, that's rockform.com. Enter code SUBPAR for 25% off your speaker. All right, here's Vinny Del Negro on Golf Subpar. All right, you probably know this dude sitting next to me today from the NBA, coaching in the NBA, doing all that. But after what he just did in Tahoe, you know him now as the Celebrity Slayer. <laughs> Vinny Del Negro, champion of the ACC Celebrity Event in Tahoe. What's up, Vinny? Hey, good to see you guys as always, bud. Good to be with Dude, you. Congratulations. That was such an awesome performance. Thanks, buddy. I learned it uh, from you out at Greyhawk when we played in that tournament, you and Chappie and stuff, and me and Marley and stuff. But very fortunate. You know how tough it is to close those things out. So uh, just went my way. I was uh, hit some good shots down the stretch. Very humble. You know, you, you, you've played in this tournament a number of years. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're a hell of a player. You're a 1.8 index, at least is what I saw as of most recent. But you're going in that tournament. Do you, first off, do you know what your odds were at the start of the week to win this tournament? I didn't know until they told me. It was like, I think, 75 to 1, I think. Yes. You didn't put any side action on yourself? No, I said in the press conference after, I really don't. I'm not into that stuff. I'm not a big, as you guys know, I'm not a big drinker and stuff. I just kind of go there and love the competition. I'm a competitive junkie. I've played in it for years. I usually go there and play one really good round, one kind of average round, and one bad round. And I don't know, I just, uh, from, from the first tee on, I was just totally locked in with everything I've kind of been going through. And uh, my caddy, Dirk, did a great job. And we were just kind of focused hole by hole, shot by shot, and just kind of kept everything under our belt. And before you know it, I think what really turned is is on the second day, on the front nine, I just I was rolling it so good for whatever reason. I had it in the right spots, and I shot five under on the front. So I shot 31, so that just kind of propelled me. And then in the back nine, I got really tentative. And um, just kind of wasn't being aggressive, wasn't, you know, kind of attacking the pins. And uh, just kind of after the round, I said, you know, I talked to Mark Mulder a little bit. I talked to some people. I said, hey, this is where I'm at. And they were like, all of them to a T pretty much said, just go for it. You know, just aim, do what you've been doing, go for it. And that really kind of cleared my mind a little bit some more. And then one Sunday came around, I just was kind of plotting my way around the course. And then when it was time, I just kind of uh, turned it on a little bit at the end. I'm glad you brought up Mulder because like he's won this thing numerous times. Oh, yeah. In the last the last handful of years, it's been Mulder, Romo, Fish. Those are the guys. And yeah. you've played in this, and you've had a, a couple top tens yeah. in there. You've had yep. some good years. But when you leave and you see Mark Mulder winning or Romo or whoever it is, do you do you leave there thinking like, man, if I show up and play like I could play, I could beat those guys? Yeah, I mean, I've played with all of them, you know, and whether it's Smoltz or Jack Wagner, and I mean, there's so many players that uh, we've played with throughout the years and all these events. But um, like I said, I always kind of 
kind of beat myself a little bit. You know, I just never let it go um, the way I was capable of. You know, I let one shot bother me or a putt bother me where this year was kind of like I just didn't really think about it so much. I was like next shot, focusing on the next shot. And uh, my caddy was great, Dirk, and we just kind of went and plotted our way around. And before you know it, you know, we're on the backside uh, uh, on Sunday, and then it was anybody's ball game. You know, you, you say you got a little tentative, but, like, what are the nerves like for you? Because, I mean, you, you've hit game-winning shots. Yeah. You've, had, you've been at the free-throw line with 20,000 people booing you, wanting to get in your kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. What were the nerves like for you coming down the stretch trying to win a golf tournament? You know, we, it was weird, Colt. Um, I've played in enough of these things, and, and for sure there's always nerves. But kind of for whatever reason this year, um, I just think under the circumstances and where my mind was, um, and my father passing and things, I just was like, I don't want to say in a zone. I was just like, I was just blocking everything out. I was just kind of focusing on, on him, what he would expect. And, uh, I just kind of went for it and just, I didn't think about all the other stuff. I just, I didn't have, a, I didn't have enough time. And everyone's like, well, why are you walking so fast? My kids, like, I was like, I just want to walk. I like to walk fast anyway, but then I was walking even faster because I was like, I wanted to get away from everybody because I was talking to myself, just what I needed to do, what was expected of me and kind of just my mindset. And I was just, you know, my dad always tell me, get locked in, man, focus in and get locked in no matter what shot with it in basketball. He's like, you miss a shot, next shot, man, just lock in, you know, no excuses. You're either good enough or not lock into that shot. And he goes, if you miss your first five, you're going to make your next five. That's your mentality. And that's what it was kind of in golf when I was playing on Sunday. I was like, of course, I was a little nervous, but I was just like, if I'm going to if I'm going to get beat, I'm not going to get beat from being tentative. I'm going to get beat from kind of going after it. Even on that putt on the last one regulation, you hit it in there nice. I mean, you had a really good look for Eagle. You know, if that goes down, the thing's over. What is it? What is it? I mean, it had to be a long time since you were probably as nervous as that. I was, but you know, I was. It was in a good position because uh, Schmolte was putting for par. He had like a five. He yeah. had a, like a nice bender. I mean, it was. He didn't have an easy putt, and he, he hit it great. And mine was kind of downhill. <clears throat> I think I came out of it a little bit. I was really just focusing in on the speed. I didn't want to roll it by because the cup was kind of set. It could have rolled down like four or five to him. And I was like, hey, I'm hitting my driver good. I just played this hole really well. If we go into a playoff, we're going to play 18 again. It fits my eye. So I was like, hey, be smart. If it rolls in the, in the, in the side, great. If it doesn't, just make sure it's a tap in and let's move on to the playoff because I felt good where my driver was. Explain to the people at home, though, because I think it's different for everyone. When they got a putt, that means a lot. Like, I mean, playing on tour, you know, guys, sometimes it affects their hands. Sometimes, you know, it's their heart rate. Sometimes everything just gets going crazy fast. What were you feeling? You know, I'm a, I'm a routine guy, Colt. So whether I'm shooting a free throw, I did the same routine for years. It's kind of like I just have my routine. I pick my spot, and I just know, like, you, you know, what the speed is. I was just kind of focused on – looking from the low side, making sure I had the breakdown, and then making sure I had the speed down in the grain where it was going towards the water. And I was like, okay, this is going to be a little quicker. You know, make sure you're just smart about it. I just picked my spot. Luckily, the speed, it rolled out a little bit. The greens were great there. The, the superintendent has done a fantastic job. They're fast. And if you get on the wrong side, you can get you can three-putt very easily on those greens. So the poana can be a little tricky, as you guys know. Um, just one of the holes I birdied at number six. They put bent grass in there because they kind of lost it. That green was much smoother, much faster, and it has a lot of undulation. So that was a good birdie for me. But 18, it was all kind of process oriented. Make sure I get a, a, a nice, you know, uh, tap in for birdie and make him make the par putt. And if we go to a playoff, let's go to a playoff. And you play the final round with Smoltz. That's who you go into the playoff with. You guys are buddies. You've played yep. a lot of golf together, and you know how much he wants to win that. Like I talked to a few guys before the tournament. 
Mulder, Madonna. They're like, sure. Smoltz probably wants to win this thing more than anyone. What was the vibe like in that final round? Were you guys, your friends, are sure. you out there yucking it up and talking? Or were you both like locked in and uh, we were locked. I mean, we were locked in, but you know, it's like anything. It's like, you know, they're, you know, buddies, you know. So like, I want them to play well, but I just want to play better. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't want to, <laughs> I, I want to see them hit good shots. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm competitive. I'm, I want to, it puts pressure on me to hit good shots, but that's fine. That's what it's all about. So I wanted to, you know, if I was going to, be in that position. I wanted those guys to play well. I just wanted to play a little bit better. I want my friends to play good. I just want to beat their heads in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah That's normal that's, friendship. And shit. that's and I know he's thinking <laughs> the same thing. You know, I've had I've had Smoltzy out to member guests at Whisper Rock. Maybe yeah. we'll play in the national together next year. We talk. I talked to him today. He was very gracious as always um, in the press conference afterwards. And he's a tremendous player. And like I said, it just kind of went my way at the end. I hit some shots, and uh, that's what it took. Could you oh, sneaky early favorite at the national at Whisperock next year? John Smoltz and Vinny Del Negro, look out for that. Well, we that, ain't sneaky. that ain't sneaky at all. That ain't sneaky, yeah. <laughs> well, now that you know they're a team, it's, it's official. They're going to be the favorite. But, you know, one of the stars of that week is obviously Sir Charles Barkley. Sure. Were you aware of the bet he put on himself? Because the over-under was 70th place. He put $100,000 on himself at 5-1 to one to finish 70th or better. Were you aware of the bet? And which side of that would you have taken? I was aware of it. Um, I, I will say this: uh, I would have had a look at the roster down that side of the of the uh, of who was playing there. But I, I will say this: Charles has actually improved a lot. I mean, people tend to you know, and I give Charles a lot of credit. I mean, he goes out there, he takes a lot of flack. But I, you know, I used to play with Marley and Ainge and Cotvin Simmons and Charles down at the Raven, and Charles would shoot in the high seventies, low eighties, easy. He could chip and putt. Now, back then, he, you know, we were all in, but especially him, much better shape. But at the end of the day, Charles's swing is starting to kind of come back a little bit. The hitch, the – now, is he still have some issues with some of those things? Of course. But um, I'm proud of him being out there. Um, I probably would have taken the bet. But at the end of the day, as you guys know um, – competitive golf under the gun. It's a whole different environment with people and just the whole thing out in Tahoe, especially when you're playing in a real tournament, every putt counts, everything matters. Um, it's, it's a different thing. I think he had his best final round. And I think it was, I think they said on the broadcast in those last 50 rounds, his final yeah, round this I past week was, yeah. his best. I think he got plus, he got plus points. He had been coming out to the rock a little bit and yeah. uh, playing with some guys out there. And I saw him swinging and he was actually swinging it good. Yeah. I mean, it's a he loves it and I'm, I'm just happy he's going to try to keep working on it and i think he can get some of it back stand up nothing Lee. more he wants than just to go out and play with his buddies yeah and be competitive yeah. and not being not embarrass himself exactly i was rooting for him i mean that's i want obviously when i saw you were up in contention i was like come on Vinny, let's get this thing done but then i would scroll to the bottom and be like <laughs> all right where's our man sir charles has he got a chance mm. i thought it would be the best tv ever if he had like a 10 footer on the last yeah. to finish 70th or yeah. 69th or something like that. Yeah, that would have oh been my good. God, he would have gotten that. The, the fans love him. He's great with the fans and he loves it out there. And he's been a staple out there for years. And I'm just, like I said, I'm just happy to see him kind of start to enjoy it a little bit more instead of having all of that, you know, golf is hard enough, as you guys know. I mean, to, uh, you know, for him, he loves it. I'm just happy he's trying to get better at it. Yeah, Stan, Ut Stan Utley's phone is going to be exploding with all the love that he's. You should have got Stan Utley up there to Chicago and get him to teach Joe Kim Noah to shoot free throws. If he can fix Chuck, he can fix Joe Kim's free throws for sure. Yeah. Other than obviously it's a star-studded event, it's unbelievable. Slee's got to go up there this past week. I didn't. I've never been. 
who are some of the other guys you love? Like, I mean, obviously I don't get to hang out all the time, but that week is very, very special. Who are some of the other guys you love catching up with and hanging out with? Well, I mean, I'll tell you, this year was special from the standpoint of not only winning it, but on Tuesday I played with uh, Mike Madonna, my buddy. You guys know Mike. He's great. And um, and Jay Billis, my buddy. And we had, we played with Annika. Yeah. And we had a oh, practice wow. round with Annika. And uh, her husband, Mike, was the caddy, caddy and four. And um, just to play with her, I mean, she, as you guys know, she's a machine. I mean, she didn't miss a fairway. She was like four yards left, four yards right. I mean – I mean, she can just hit it and could not have been nicer. Talked the whole way. She was very gracious after. We took pictures and, and um, with the trophy and things, she could not have been nicer. I was watching – I was really watching not only guys in my group for sure with Jack and, and Schmoltzy, and they got off to better starts than I did, but um, I was really, you know, watching kind of Romo and Annika. I thought they could make a push a little bit, um, and they did. It's just that they kind of ran out of holes as I was – I just kept parring and parring and parring. And uh, and then I made the birdie in eighteen. And no bullshit, like it's really this is a cool thing to win. There's a lot of good players in this and beating all the celebrities and stuff. Yeah. That's fun. But to say like I beat Annika Sorensen, I know she ain't playing golf no. every day and doing all that, but she's still Annika Sorensen. I saw her betting odds before the beginning of the week, and I was like, oh my god, like that's the one. Oh, she can play. I mean, she, I mean, as you guys know, I mean, I think she's won what seventy two events and ten majors and whatever. But she still had the nerves. You know, she's you know she kind of lives in that environment, that intensity, that environment her whole life. But she's back to playing competitive golf. She kind of was, you know, I was talking to her. She's getting ready to play in some of these uh, senior, uh, you know, LPGA events. And there's a couple majors that they have, I guess. And she's really kind of – and really what's gotten her back into golf is her kids. Her daughter uh, is a really good player, but her son is starting to be a good player, and he really loves it. So she said they're spending a lot of time on the golf course, and she's kind of rejuvenated her love for it, and she loves to compete. Um and it was just fantastic to be around her because obviously she's such a great person. Yeah, you can't, you cannot take the competition out of those people. I mean, they just love to compete. I mean, like you said, seventy-two wins, ten majors. Yeah. She was fist pumping coming yeah. down the stretch. I was like, oh, she wanted it. Oh, she it? wanted it. Yeah, it was she, cool. Yeah. Oh yeah, she. I mean, we're all into it. Believe me, as you guys know, it's those competitive. You know, we're all competitive junkies in something, and we just want to perform well under the pressure. And and uh, yes, you know, it's just you know, it's just. It's hard. It's hard to close those deals out. Did you pick her brain on anything playing with her? I mean, that's the best to ever do it in her sport, in her, you know, for her sex. Like, did you pick her brain? Like, how do you hit these chips or anything like that? Yeah, we talked a little bit about it. But I tell you what I really was just incredibly impressed with her was is if she was hitting her driver, a seven iron, a pitching wedge, a lob wedge, her back to through motion never changes. Like, her speed is like her speed. And it's like she's so consistent because her turn and her speed – I mean, if you, it's just really incredible. Like everything is so consistent with her, like her speed or tempo or turn, everything is just, it's just like a machine. It's, it's consistent. There's no hitches. There's no anything. It's back and through. Um, she picks her spots. Um, I think the, in the practice round, she birdied the first two holes. I think she hit the first one to like four feet and the other one at two feet. Um, and I was like, wow. Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing that's crazy is, as you guys know, you know, she's hitting like, let's say she's hitting an eight iron in there and I'm hitting a gap wedge or a sand wedge and she's hitting it like, I'm hitting it 20 feet and she's hitting it four feet. Like, but it was just consistent. So it's like, man, I got a lot of work to do to, to uh, you know, beat her. That tempo. Yeah. That tempo. Yeah, it's solid. Mesmerizing. It's easy. She yeah. makes it look easy. It really she is. does. But I'm going to tell you something, though. Interesting. After the Saturday round, the range usually closes about, I think, 530 or something. Um, she was done probably about 233. She had some lunch. She was out there hitting balls until like six o'clock. 
Okay, she was like out there pounding balls. Everyone was saying, Annika's out there. She's coming after you. Six o'clock, she was hitting balls, everything like that. So I'm like, if it, I, I said I should have been out there, she should have been relaxing like I was. It's funny seeing. I didn't know that was allowed at that event. Oh yeah, dude, you'd be surprised, man. Oh, guys are grinding, man. I I show up, I'm leaving, and it's like people cramming for a final exam the next day. They're like, I haven't hit balls in six months. I got to get out here and figure it out in the next hour. There was a bunch of them out there still, still going out. Oh yeah. Well, I believe you became the first NBA player to ever win the American Century. You know, obviously, you're a fantastic player. What other players in the NBA or just the basketball world would you say are some of the top players? Well, right now, like I talked about in the press conference after, you know, Steph Curry has a a great swing, loves the game. You know, I play with his, uh, you know, they were on the 18th green and, and you know, Dell, who I play with in Milwaukee and and Steph and and Seth were there. And I think Vince Carter, Derek, a bunch of guys stayed, which was really nice of them. And I've talked to all of them. And, um, you know, Steph's swing is fantastic. He's got to stay focused on his career right now in basketball. But I think... You know, he gets enough golf in. But after his career, I think when he puts a little bit more time in, um, he's too competitive. He's got too good of a swing. He loves it too much. Um, another guy that I, I play with uh, once in a while, I had a practice round with him, was Ray Allen. Oh, he didn't play particularly well. Swing. He didn't oh. play particularly well in, his, in the last round especially. But um, I played enough golf with Ray. Ray's solid. Um, as he continues to uh, work on his game, I think he's another guy that could be up there. So um, there's not a lot. Um, you know, there's been other basketball players over the years that have been good golfers. But I'm, I'm, I'm happy about the basketball thing because the basketball, go, the NBA goes up there, the logo and all that. But I'm more happy because what the tournament represents, all the past winners, what American Century does for the tournament. Jonathan Thomas, the CEO of American Century, they put their heart and soul into it. NBC, John Miller, Gary Quinn, it's, you know, they, they put their heart and soul, time, effort, money um, into it. It's just such a first-class event. All the parties, all the concerts, everything we have is so fun. So to be a part of that group and with my name aside of the, the past winners, to me, that's that's uh, that's the most important. Yeah, and that's what's so impressive yeah. with Steph is that he's in the middle of his, like, prime right yeah. now, and he's still this good. If he, he can play. If he quit, like, when basketball ends and he plays a bunch of golf yeah. and retires, like, yeah. he's going to be a force because it's it's all there. But you had such a – you had a long NBA career. You played 12 seasons, yep. and you coached in the NBA. i got to ask one more question about the American Century real quick. Okay. The basketball, no, this very, was kind of golf, but go ahead. Yeah. Because yeah, Lee and I, you know, we like to get amongst it and have a good time. Who's the MVP of the party scene at the American Century? <laughs> <laughs> There's more saw than one couple, name. Saw a couple of <laughs> yeah. the runnings. Yeah. Right, give, me the, give me the top five. Oh, man, that'd be tough. I'd say, uh, you know, first thing is Larry the Cable Guy is always having a good time no matter what time of day it is, and he's so fun to be around. Um, you know, the, the, the Roscoe Flats guys are, are always there, and they do an incredible job, and they're just fun to be around. I mean, there's so many different people. Um it's hard to pinpoint all of them, but the parties we have, the karaoke nights we have, the Roscoe Flats concerts. This year it was Earth, Wind, and Fire. Um, I've had Philip Bailey up at the Rock, the lead singer of Earth, Wind, and Fire, to play golf, who loves the game of golf, and that place was packed. So, man, there's so many things going on and so many events, um, so many good people involved with it. So, everyone's having a good time. If you don't, if you can't have a good time up in Lake Tahoe in July, playing in a celebrity golf tournament with concerts and parties and everything going on, then uh, you probably shouldn't go. I'd say uh, Joe Don Rooney, the rascal flag. Oh, yeah, yeah. If someone we beat him, to. then I didn't uh, get to see it. It's pretty good. Travis Kelsey also not afraid. But you know, Travis is always having a good time. Yeah. Big, and Travis was a heck of a basketball player. We always talk about it. And actually, Roma was a good basketball player too. We Very. talk about that. He'll tell you. So a lot, yeah, a lot of <laughs> a lot of good players. But 
the, the, the fun Rob thing Romo is for what'd you say <laughs> what'd you Rob say? Romo for finishing. that puts that consecutive impressive. tournaments finished at one <laughs> we had a little talk about that too i was like hey oh, bud, you gotta you gotta get through 54 out here bro. come on no but there's so many good guys out there and so many good players i mean all, all the guys are going after it and uh for whatever reason, just click for me this weekend. Kelsey's got a good golf swing, too, for a it's big old athlete. monster of a human. It's a joke. Patrick Mahomes won the long drive contest. Mm-hmm. I mean, he sends it. 363 or something. With a little teaching, that guy could be really good. You can just tell he's just an athlete. By the way, Patrick Mahomes is a lot bigger than you think when you get next Thick. to him. He's a big boy, and he's, a, he's an incredible player. I mean, I had breakfast with Al Michaels, and we talked about football and the season and his career and – you know, then you go, you know, you shit with some other football coaches or play. Everyone, it's all kind of a big family there because we've done it. And um, the weather was great. The course was great. So it was just a phenomenal weekend. Were you playing golf? By the way, I, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I, you said Al Michaels. And by the way, I, I saw he was in the field this year. I played with him at Bel Air. And I knew Barkley no longer had to worry about finishing last. <laughs> Al Michaels, fantastic dude. Greatest announcer ever. Not a very good golfer. No, but you know what's amazing thing is? Because I had, he loves it. Like that's yeah. the awesome thing about it. Like a guy that's had his type of, I mean, he's done everything. Okay, it's Al Michaels, and um, but he loves being out there. He loves shooting whatever he's going to shoot, however it goes. He likes walking the course, the people, and he's cut. I mean, to me, that's awesome. I mean, at that age in his career, to go out there and not be able to shoot a good number, but have a good time. He's always got a smile on his face. He's always having fun. Um, I think that's awesome. Yeah, he shows he up. Really he nice plays golf. Grip. Yeah, the yeah. grip. The grip could use a little. Instru- I don't know how he can't put the put the face on the ball with he's that got thing. The, he's got the cobra grip. He's, he's got the cobra. Rattles- yeah, I mean that uh, thing is rattlesnakes in that he hand. Needs boy. Maybe just a slight tweak with a little little teaching there. Um, you you mentioned some of the guys like Charles when he was shooting in the high seventies and stuff. So were you playing golf still when you were in the NBA? Or was so it I, just off season, or were you playing during the season, or what? So, I started playing golf when I was twenty eight. I'm 54. Late start. Yeah. So um, I, my, my wife, we had our wedding at 30 years, married last June, uh, June 15th. Uh, her Congrats. family was into uh, tennis. So I would play tennis a lot in the summer because her family was into it. And I hadn't really grown up playing tennis so much. So I really got into tennis. But as I, my NBA career kept going, uh, my knees in the summer, I wanted to get off the hardwood. My buddy was a golfer. He was left-handed. I was driving the cart. And uh, one day when he was playing – and he was left-handed. I was a switch hitter in baseball, power left-handed. Everything I do is right-handed. And I swung his club. I couldn't hit it. I went inside the next day. Uh, I was in North Carolina at the time, and I called the ping. And I said, hey, I kind of like golf, and, you know, send me some clubs, whatever. And I knew a ping rep, and they sent me some clubs. And I just started pounding balls while I was playing in San Antonio, like after practice or, uh, you know, if we had a day off or whatever, I'd just go out to a range, uh, a couple clubs I was a member at. And just pound some balls. Couldn't hit it anywhere. Really have, you know, I haven't got many lessons. But I've been fortunate, you know. What's made me a, a better player is Whisper Rock. You know, playing with you guys, guys that know what they're doing, that have played their whole lives. There's so many good players out there. Why are you chipping it? You know, I'm a knowledge guy. So I'm, like, always asking, like, why would you chip with this club? Or why would you hit it there? Why would you hit three instead of driver? Kind of figuring out as best I can what fits my game. So being able to play in all these tournaments all these years – and then being around really good players, I think, has really helped me. Yeah, well, obviously, we're going to get into the basketball at one point. But while we're on the golf, we got to ask about Michael Jordan, who you played a lot of basketball against. Have you have you played much golf with him? Oh yeah, yeah, I've played. I've been in Tahoe with him a few times. I think we played somewhere else. 
Michael can play. You know, Michael's got his new course down there with Grove 23. A bunch of guys are playing now. And I think uh, Ray told me he's a member there, and he goes down and plays with Michael a lot. So um, I saw George, Michael's business guy, and kind of his assistant. He was in Tahoe this year. We talked for a while. But, um, yeah, I've played with Michael a few times in Tahoe, and uh, he's always fun to play with. Very Obviously, as you know, he's very competitive, and he's got a nice swing, good short game. And I'm going to try to get down to Florida hopefully uh, sometime and, and uh, get on his course a little bit and play. Drag him back to Tahoe. Now that you got the title, you got a, you got an NBA guy up there. What yeah. do you got to do to get Mike back? Mike's busy. He's got the young kids. You know, True. he's down there, so he's kind of just kind of doing his own thing. And you know, Michael lives in a kind of a different world than a lot of people because he's Michael say. Jordan. So <laughs> yeah. that's a little bit different. But Mike loves playing some golf and he loves the competition. So um, I enjoy that. And you used to when you were playing against Mike in the NBA, you used to like when they're back. All right, free throw. You guys are both at the top of the key or whatever. You would talk to him about golf, right? That was kind of your thing. Like, hey, maybe if I make buddies with him, it'll you know, go a easy little, on me. a little bit, but more, you know, kind of like. You're always trying to, like, get him off a subject, you know what I mean? Because, <laughs> you know, he just, you know, he wants to beat your brains in. So, at the time, Marley, Dan Marley, my buddy, he was he was much more advanced and, and playing a lot more golf than me at that time. So, Dan would always talk to Mike a little bit more about golf. I was just trying to, you know, hey, how you doing? You know, North Carolina, NC State, whatever. But Mike was just uh, such a dominant player. I mean, just uh, his, his competitiveness and his – just his overall kind of – just his presence was was uh, was tough. Tough. Do you remember the that. first time you went up against him on the court? For um, the first, I don't remember the first time. Um, probably in a summer league in North Carolina or something like that years ago, and then in the NBA, obviously, in, in different stints. Um, but everyone, you know, there, you can't guard Michael one on one. So if, even if you're on him, you're trying to force him to an area. You know, send him into David Robinson, send him into whoever. You're always trying to get help. And and back then you could be obviously a lot more physical than the game is now. And that's what's interesting to me. People say, well, who's this, who's that, best, who's the best. I don't know how anybody – we couldn't guard him when you could try to physically beat him up. And nowadays there's no physicality in the game. So, like, how would you even think about guarding him now? I mean, it's wow. – and, and, and by the way, he could play 30 years – like he could play as long as he wanted because think of when you look at films back in the in the in the, in the days in the late 80s 90s and stuff before the rules were changed the games were so much more physical so much more half court more you know David Patrick Carl uh, Malone Charles all these great um, inside players that you know teams were running through now there's really not much post up you got seven footers shooting threes and everything's different it evolved just like the golf ball the equipment. It's just a different time, and you got to kind of evolve with it. I'm glad you brought that up because I want to get to that in a minute. But let's say you are all right. The free throw is happening. Somebody's shooting it. You're at the top of the key, half court, whatever. Mike's there with you, and you talk to him about golf. Like, what are you saying to Mike? Like, you walk over to him, like, "Hey, man, how's the game? What's that conversation?" Well, at, look well, like? at that stage, he was probably a better golfer than me, so I would have probably just said, you know, "How you putting it? How you hitting it? You know, how's your swing right now? Whatever." Don't dunk on me. Yeah, just you know, <laughs> if you try to jump over me, I'm gonna pull you down. I'm not gonna let you do it. So, um, but no, he was. Mike was always – I loved playing against those guys. I mean, I loved it because it made me better. You know, being around Kareem or Magic or Larry or, you know, Michael or just any of those superstar guys. Of course, uh, those Laker and Celtics teams back when I played were just incredibly dominant. But I enjoyed it back then. I learned so much, you know, as a young player at that time. 
um, just you know how they went about their business, how great of players they were. It was just a different era. It was just totally a different deal back then compared to now. Was there anyone that like the night before or before a game you were like, boy, I might be in for a long night because so and so's guarding me? Almost every night for me, Colt. It was a lot. <laughs> I mean, you know, you you know, so you got tonight, you got Michael. Then tomorrow night, you got Clyde Drexler. Then you got Jeff Hornacek. Then you got Mitch Richmond. Then you got Allen Houston. Then you got Chris Mullen. Then you got. I mean, it's there's no nights off in the NBA. I mean, it's just luckily I was fortunate in my prime. I played on some great San Antonio Spurs teams where we had been together. You know, we had won a ton of games. We were trying to win a championship at that time. Dave Robinson was our catalyst. And then Sean Elliott, Avery Johnson, myself in the backcourt, we played together for, you know, six, seven, eight years um, with, you know, Dennis came in and then obviously Tim Duncan came in and took it to a new level. But David was fantastic. So you always knew every night you had a chance because of David. And then everyone else's job was to kind of do their job and make sure, make shots, don't turn it over, play smart, play hard, play good defense. And, you know, we had a style of play that was very consistent and very, very productive. You were talking about the physicality and how it's changed now. Like Mike, you know, I mean, he would shoot 53 free throws a game now. Like yeah. you, you just play different back then. Give me one thing that you think is better about the NBA right now and one thing that you think is worse about the NBA right now. I think maybe what's better about the NBA NBA game at sometimes is people want to see spectacular plays. So I think with the lack of physicality, sometimes you have some of these star players that are able to do some incredibly athletic things in the air. Um around the basket, things that can happen that only a handful of guys back in my era really were doing um, just because, you know, guys were pulling them out of the air or hitting them or whatever. So from a physicality standpoint, I think you, the fans enjoy that and everyone enjoys seeing great athletic plays. Um, the speed of the game is great. Um, the thing is, is that I think right now free agency is so all over the place and guys are kind of teaming up to have super teams to win championships, to build their brand, to win titles, all that. But Back in when I played, there was no way Michael was going to team up and go play with yeah, Larry. There exactly. was no way Magic was going to go team up and play with Mike. You know, that wasn't even in the realm of their mental approach. Yeah, to Charles anything. could have done that. Charles could have went and played whatever. Yeah, you know, and and um, in his prime, you know, at the end he kind of went to to uh, Houston to play with those guys a little bit. But in his prime, if yeah. he had left, yeah. But um, Karl Malone, they, he could have left. I mean, that just wasn't. A, it was like. I'm the best player. I'm an MVP caliber player. I'm going to I'm going to win this championship for this city for this guy stay together. But now the salary cap, the salaries, uh, the world has changed as we know and it's just a difference you have to adapt. Yeah. Yeah, so you're sitting at home, you're watching the NBA on TV. Who's your favorite player in the current NBA to watch each night? Probably my favorite player to watch. That's a tough question. There's a bunch. Um I love watching Steph play. Um, just with his shot-making ability. I really enjoy seeing Damian Lillard play. He's been loyal to that organization, to that city. Some of the distance and the shots he makes, especially in clutch, are impressive. One of my favorite players that hasn't played the last two years, who I think is one of the best two-way players we have in the league, is Clay Thompson uh, for Golden State. I love the way he competes. I love the way he guards. I just, I just, He's a winner. Um, obviously, we consider and say Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving or James Harden or you know, I, I love watching Devin Booker play. He's a fantastic player. He scores the ball easy. There's so many really good players, and I'm missing a bunch. Embiid, uh, for a big guy, his skill set is incredible. Um, you know, the list goes on and on. I mean, Doncic in Dallas is fun to watch. Some of the things he can do is incredible. He's a young player. He's only going to get better. So the league is in a very, uh, very good spot. 
Um, and it's only going to get uh, a better with them opening up a, a league in Mexico, a team in Mexico City, a team in Africa, a league in Africa, rather. So there's just a lot of global support for the game of basketball right now. You got to play for one of the best NBA coaches of all time, Greg Popovich. Give me, like, we all see Greg in the, the you know, in between quarters and he gets the interviews <laughs> and he don't want to be there and all that. What's Greg Popovich like when the cameras aren't on? He's awesome. I mean, he's just, uh, and he doesn't want to take any credit. It's just not his MO. You know, he's just, he's, uh, uh, he's a military guy. He has, you know, what he wants to do. And I think, and he knows this, the brilliance of Greg has been that he was able to coach David first. And then he was able to coach Tim for so many years. And those guys wanted to be coached. Um, and, and San Antonio always brought in kind of high character, very talented players that kind of build around those guys. Um, so they've had, you know, so much consistent success uh, for so many years. But Pop is, you know, straight point, do your job. This is what I need you to do. If you're going to, you know, there's no excuses. It's no like, bullshit. yeah, you walk in and there's a thing, you know, with a hammer and a rock, you know, pound the rock every day. And, you know, you're going to make a little dent here, a little dent here. But eventually, if you keep pounding it, the rock's going to break and you're going to get to it. So um, he just has a – he's a tough coach. He's demanding. He's very good with uh, understanding situations. Um, and he wants to get the best out of you. So, um, you know, I love the guy. Obviously, uh, he made my career better. He was always very supportive of me when I was coaching. I could always pick his brain. Um, the first guy to call me after a – a playoff win or a playoff series win or something. My first one um, was him. And, you know, hey, you need anything? What's going on? We're in San Antonio, blah, blah, blah. I mean, uh, inviting me to training camps, um, just, um, you know, and coaches meetings and just uh, just could not have been more supportive. And, you know, you look at the teams I played on, like I think I did a thing today with ESPN and in 1995, I think it was, and Pop was still in the front office, we had um, – Myself, Avery Johnson, Monty Williams, and Doc Rivers were all on the same team. Wow. And and David Robinson is twice as smart of all of us put together. You know what I'm saying? Like, and then we had <laughs> and we had Sean Elliott, and we had just Terry Cummings, a, a minister, and just like unbelievable character, great basketball guys. And you know, we were always you know talking. You know, me and Avery were kind of the starters in our prime, and then Doc was older, had a great career in Atlanta, and then Monty was like 23 or 4, just kind of come into the league, so he was trying to find his way. So all different levels. Um, so, yeah, just uh, very fortunate to be put in that situation. Yeah, that's just the culture of that franchise. Yeah, just, like. just cool. Yeah. What, what would you say your coaching style was? Were you a lot like a Greg Popovich, or did you kind of take pieces of him and other coaches? You know, I think it's important in coaching to be yourself – I think you, you take pieces from everybody, but I think you have to have your own personality. I think you can't be, you know, you're trying to be a salesman, but you can't be fake. You have to be yourself. Everyone has their own experiences, their own way of how they grew up, what they believe in, what they don't believe in, what the makeup of your roster is, what your star players are. So there's a lot that goes into it, but for sure I took a, a lot of my coaching and things from the San Antonio system like a lot of people do. But then I have my own spin on it, That things that were really important to me. I wasn't a, a rules guy. I was a standards guy, how we want to create these standards to be consistently successful. Um, but I was, you know, I was a player's coach. I wanted to hear from my players. Um, I had played, so I understood what they were going through. So, uh, and then it really depends on how your, how your best players buy into everything because once they start moving and get everybody pulling in the same direction, then everyone's just understanding what their role is how good we can actually be. 
and we're going to take bumps along the way. But if we learn from them, then we're going to be better in the future. Yeah, tell me about that because I, I think coaching professional at the professional level has got to be one of the hardest things in the world. It's totally different than college. You yeah. can use the rah-rah and yeah. all that stuff. You can't do that in the NBA. What's it like? How hard is it, I guess, as an NBA coach to get the guys that are like, hey, here's a 23-year-old. He's making $20 million a yeah. year more than, you know, more than I am. How do you get those guys to buy into actually being coached? You know, you'd be surprised. You know, people say that all the time. Some guys um, that you would think wouldn't want to be coached so much uh, are very coachable. And everything is different. It's a, it's a you know, you got to learn personalities. But my assist, I had great assistant coaching staffs that kind of I, I dictate to them how I want things run. My job is to make sure the details are done. So when I spoke up, the guys knew it was a very serious, you know, I didn't, I wasn't a rah-rah yell every day. And, you know, yeah. that wasn't my deal. It was like, okay, we're going to do this, this, and this today. And if you do it right, my three stipulations were you had to play hard, you had to play unselfish, and you had to be a great teammate. And people always say to me, what does that mean, be a great teammate? I mean, set a great screen. Your job as a big guy, get the lower part of the body, the guard, you're supposed to set somebody up. Sprint back on defense. If somebody falls down, everyone should be over there picking them up. We're all on the same – everyone has to be on the same page. If one guy's not on the same page, it doesn't work at this level. The guys are too good. Teams are going to make adjustments. We have to be, we have to be able to get to our second, our third counter. If you can get to your third counter, that's why cohesiveness is very important when the game was more physical. Now when it's opened up, it's quite not as good. You can get to your second option. You don't really have to get to your third. Um, and what I mean by that is, say you run a play and uh, we're, we're going to swing it to the weak side and we're going to run a flare screen, and all of a sudden the timing's off and the, and the defense knows the flare screen's being overplayed. Well, if the flare screen's being overplayed, it's an automatic back door. Or it's not automatic. You're going through the back, coming off a double on the weak side. So there's always counters to everything, and the better teams that stay together understand that. You got that, Colt? You can't overplay. You can't overplay the flare screen, dog. Or it's just straight. It's just straight back door. Right here. Yeah, you got. I it. run through. I don't got to tell you, bro. I don't got to tell you. <laughs> Whatever the circumstances, there's counters to everything. Well, I'm reading some articles right now, Vinny. Are you interested in coaching again in the NBA? I don't know. It would have to right be the situation? right situation. You know, it was out there that you know Portland and this and that. Mm -hmm. That that's. That's fake news. That's not okay. accurate. Well, Thank what you. is accurate about it is, is I have a tremendous respect for Chauncey Billups, and Chauncey reached out to me, and we had a really good conversation, and I told him I would help him in any capacity I could because um, he's a great guy. He's a great ambassador for the game. He had a great career. He was one of my players that I stood by when he got injured, and uh, I wanted him on the roster because what he stood for and kind of uh, his leadership, I think he'll do a tremendous job. So I said, uh, let's talk. So we talked for a little bit. And I really was like, hey, Chauncey, let's just keep talking. Whatever you think is best for you. And um, and then it went out like, oh, Vinny didn't get the job. I would, you know, it wasn't even about that. It was about what was best for Chauncey. That's the most important thing. And, and then Scott Brooks wanted to get back in because he got released from Washington, where I think he did a heck of a job. And Scott's a friend, and I think he's an excellent coach. So he hired Scott. Um, who has relationships with uh, Neil O'Shea, the general manager out there, who I work with and is a great guy and does a fantastic job. So Scott's perfect for, for, for Chauncey, and he'll be fantastic. So things get skewed out there and everything. I, I really wasn't that interested at that point um, in going to Portland, but it got put out there that, that I was. I was just trying to do um, something really uh, solid for Chauncey because I have so much respect for him. Love Chauncey. That's awesome. Yeah. Shout well, out. Well, if you do go anywhere – I know you'll do a tremendous job. Felicia, should we get into the E9? Yes, let's do this little E9. All right, Vinny, this is nine fun questions. Golf, non-golf, whatever. We just fire it. You want to go first or you want me to go? 
Uh, whatever you want to do, Slade. All right, I'll fire it off. We asked this. We changed this up recently, but this is the question. You get to trade lives with someone for one day, and it could be past or present, right? Mm -hmm. And you get to live their life for one day. Who is, whose life would you want to live? Wow, that's a tough question. Um, I was just with them last week, Justin Timberlake. You have a big ass security detail, right? You got and a better chance the way, of getting in the Oval Office. I always than... tell him every year he is for being such a superstar talent. The whole thing, he is so good with the fans. He's so polite. He makes everybody feel good. It's amazing because everywhere he goes, it's it's just hysteria nonstop. Security. He's so talented, but um, I've always been impressed with people at that level, how they deal with the interaction of fans and things, and he's fantastic. You could bring sexy back. You may have already no, brought it back, no, dude. No, he, it's already here, he, dog. He, he is so talented, it's crazy. Yeah, it's yeah he's crazy. a joke. And he's got an army, army, yeah. like SWAT vests. And I was like, By the way, there was like an army of Whisperock guys this week in Tahoe. There was like not only oh, players and, oh, I mean, there was like – 30 guys up there. It was awesome. There's one right here. That yeah. might be why Justin Timberlake has such security. <laughs> they know about Chip. Is, is, is Fuji in the corner over there? No. Fuji is hiding. My you boy Perry's here. Yeah. Chicarelli. Yeah. I love it. All right, next question. We talked earlier about, you know, the discussions during free throws and all this. I'm going to give you the chance to set the record straight because Dan Marley, your good friend, <laughs> there's been some – disagreements about what exactly happened during a certain free throw where either you distracted him or he distracted you and one of you got a, broke away with a layup. Tell he, us the true story. I was being a gentleman. We were, I think, <laughs> I think uh, we were shooting a free throw or something and um, me and Dan were talking like at half court and we're like, hey, what's going on? How's golf? What's going on? Let's play this, you know, summer next week or whatever. I can't remember. And all of a sudden we missed, I think we missed a free throw or made it and Charles took it out and we're talking, and Dan, like, shoved me, and he took <laughs> off, right? And Dan just, like, rocked the rim, like, threw it down. The fans go crazy. And Popovich was the coach, and he's looking at me like, what the hell are you doing? Like, how does he even get behind you or whatever? I was like, it was so, it was like so embarrassing, stupid. So I'm like, you're supposed to be my friend. Now I'm the coach. Pop's going to ream me out, whatever. I actually ended up having a pretty good game, I remember, too. So, uh, but, but me and Dan have been buddies for years, competed for years. Dan's a... Fantastic golfer and obviously a great basketball player. Pop, we got a nine thirty tea time. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to set up a golf match tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He only wants one aside. Well, how does Marley tell it? Marley Marley says he definitely did, was not trying to distract Vinny at all. He's lying. He is so lying. No, he's so lying. <laughs> because the only way to slow I used to grab uh, Dan's shorts as much as I could. That's the only way Dan's so strong. I mean, if you try to grab him up, he's just so strong. See, yeah. I mean, we had some fun matches and good playoff matches, but, um, you know, Dan's a buddy. We play a lot of tournaments together, a lot yeah, of golf yeah. tournaments. You guys are a little dynasty. We try. Around town. We, try to, we, try to, we try to team up pretty good. A little dream team. <laughs> yeah. A little dream team. Kevin Chappell and I took you down. We finished second in the scramble. I know it. Oh, you beat a couple we NBA guys. Way down. to go. A couple yeah. of PGA guys beat a couple of NBA. Play them in two on no, two. No, we were together. We shot yeah, like, yeah. no, we shot like 23 under and we lost. Or of 20. We lost. How do you? I mean, we shot 23 and we lost. Yeah. Yeah. Shocking. Yeah. yeah. Shocking. Tough. A lot of cheating ass. I love playing with Chapel too. There. I love watching Chapel hit it. Yeah, he moves it. He moves it nice. He moves it a bit. All right. Next question. More riveting interview in sports Dustin Johnson or Greg Popovich? Who hates the media more? Well, I, I love watching Pop because Pop's at a stage where he can get away with anything. You know what I mean? It's like Charles can say anything. 
Pop can do anything, say anything. No one's going to question it. And by the way, even if you do question with Pop, he doesn't care. So it doesn't like it doesn't even like phase him. Whatever. I tell you, uh, he you know in those coaches meeting, he does not like those like uh, those those TV timeout interviews. He's like he's like I'm just going to give him the one word. And even if you know him, you're still nervous because you're like you can't ask a long question. You can't ask a poignant question like what's going on in the game because he's not going to tell you anyway. So you have to come up with like, hey, Pop, what's your favorite wine? Like whatever it is. <laughs> That'd be better. That would yeah. be better than what they asked. Right. He would he's... like to talk about that because he loves wine. So um, I got to tell you a quick story. Yes, please. So I'm playing in – this is Pop. <clears throat> so I'm playing in San Antonio. I come home from practice and my wife's always there, right? So we're – this is years and years and years ago. This is early 90s or middle 90s. And I come home, and my wife, Lynn, loves red wine. Well, Pop is a wine guy. So I come home from practice. She's not home. I'm like, where is she, right? So all of a sudden, I'm like looking around the house, come out. I hear the garage door comes up. So Pop's back in his car or truck back into my driveway. And I'm like, what's going on? Pop had, after practice, had already set it up with my wife where he was going to take her to wine shop. Oh, nice. Very Not telling me. Very my wife didn't tell me. He didn't tell me. Yeah. So they come back and Pop's like, give all these cases of red wine to Lynn, whatever like that. So Pop's like, you are so screwed because your wife loves me and I can do anything I want to. So you better <laughs> get your ass back on defense. You better not miss a shot. You better whatever. So he drive, he's like teasing me. He's like driveway hawking the horn, teasing me. I go, like my wife's like, Pop called me. He wanted to take me wine shopping. I thought it was a good idea. Look at all the great wine. So that's kind of Pop's, you know, that's how he kind of, he's, he's the best, man. I'm telling you. You're going to need a new contract after yeah. we get back. <laughs> exactly. He's the <laughs> best. Screaming Eagle. I love this wine. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah, he's the best. That is fantastic. Uh, I love it. All right. We'll stay because I learned this from Dan Marley. You know, all, all athletes are pretty superstitious. Like for him, he always has one sock in Yeah, yeah, out. yeah. Do you, do you have any weird superstitions or any traditions before every game you play? I'm a total routine guy. I'm a total, like, what time, like, what time I had pasta? My wife made me pasta every day. Okay, what time I took a nap after shoot-around, get to the arena. I had a certain, if I had a good game the night before, I had a certain workout before the game. I, if I had a poor game and wasn't shooting well, I had a different type of workout. I wanted to be in the locker room at a certain time to watch my film, look over um, the notes, look over the board. I got taped at the same time. I just, what happened for me is the more routine I was in, the more relaxed I was as the game, I just felt I'm a preparation guy. So the more mental prepared, physical prepared I was, and the more area that I could get myself as comfortable as possible, it seemed I played the best. So I always wanted to kind of stay with that. You know, even on the road, I kind of did the same thing. What time I had room service or what time I went to lunch or it was always kind of a dictated of uh, when the game was. And then it depended on if we had a you know, national uh, Sunday game on NBC at the time, or if it was a night game or a Sunday game at six or whatever, I was very routine oriented. Was it, was it always pasta before the game? Yeah, always. True Italian. Penne pasta with red sauce, maybe a little chicken on the side for some protein. And that's what I always, my wife made it every game. There you go. Love it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. All right, next one. How long did it take you before you actually could understand understand what Avery Johnson was saying when he talked to you? <laughs> <laughs> it's like you need a Rosetta Stone for Avery. Hey, Benny. Yeah, go to the wing. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Like, people would tell me that, like, because we were called Red Beans and Rice Italian, and he's from New Orleans and all that stuff. So, but um, I could understand, like, 
when you play with somebody that long, it's like I can he could just look at me or I could look at him. He knew what I was going to do, and I kind of knew what he was going to do. It's just – I know it's hard to explain, but it just was like – it was – by the way, he didn't stop talking. Mm-mm. You know what I mean? And I always talk because I'm Italian and I use my hands a lot. So whenever you see things – like when we play with Dennis Rodman, Dennis wouldn't pay attention in the timeouts. All he did was take his sneakers off, tighten up his uh, ankle braces, put his sneakers back on. The timeout was over. We'd walk out, and Dennis would say, to me or Avery, what are we running? And we'd say, okay, we're running four out, and we're in this defense. And Dennis never made a mistake. He never missed a play. Dennis was a really smart basketball player, believe it or not. Um, obviously a great great player in his own right. But I could tell you a million Dennis Rodman stories. That will blow your mind. But he, uh, he was a phenomenal player. Um, but Avery was uh, competitive. And he the thing about Avery that was really good, Avery knew exactly what he was really good at and what he wasn't. And he always put himself on the court in a really good position where he could be successful. And that's what smart players do, and that's why I think he ended up being a really good coach. Yeah. You had a better chance. All right. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I'm now changing one of my questions. I need to know one of your favorite Dennis Rodman stories. Yeah. Uh, Let's do the next hour on Dennis. Yeah, I'm fascinated by Dennis Rodman. I think it's like, please. Did you help him into his wedding dress? No. (laughs) I'll tell you two real quick. Um, I don't know how much time we have, but I'll tell you. As much as you want. So... The first night I met Dennis, we were at San Francisco Steakhouse having our uh, media session and first team dinner. And that was the night that the movie Demolition Man came out with Wesley Snipes. Yes. So we have our thing at old San Francisco Steakhouse. So a bunch of us go to a movie. Well, Dennis's good friends in San Antonio was a hairdresser. So we go to the movie. Dennis had the regular hair. Dennis shows up the next day. I think his hair was blue or gray or orange or whatever Wesley Snipes' hair was. And he got so much attention from it, and he enjoyed it so much, he just started changing his hair weekly. So me and Dennis, who we enjoyed watching movies and things, we would sit together on the plane. So the stewardess would come um, and give, you know, the little pillows or whatever. And by, like, the fourth road trip, we ran out of pillows on our, our private jet. And because Dennis would get his hair done... He would use the pillow if he fell asleep, and you'd get up with a pillow, and the pillow would be orange, then it'd be red, then it'd be green, then it'd be a rainbow, and then there's pillows all over the place, right? So Dennis was, that's how he got his, that's how it started with his hair. But this is how competitive Dennis was. Two things. We're playing a game, I'll never forget it. We're playing a game in the Alamo Dome against the Dallas Mavericks. And I think it was, and I'm not sure, I think it was Popeye Jones. And um, at that time, I think Jason was on Dallas and Mashburn and Jimmy Jackson. They had, really, they had some good teams, but we were much better. And um, Dennis had like 10 rebounds at the half. And right before the half, Popeye hits Dennis with an elbow and like busts his nose a little bit. And there's blood everywhere in his eyes and the whole thing. So they take Dennis in there at halftime. Now, grant you, we're up like 20-something points, I think, at the half. So at halftime, we go and check on Dennis. He's like, okay. And you see, I see him, his, his locker's right across from mine. And uh, I see him there, and he's got the white tape taped up, and we're like, hey, D, all right, whatever. And we're like, all right, we got, we got this. You just, you know, chill, take care of yourself. We got this. And Dennis, like, he didn't say anything. He's like, no, no, I'm, I'm playing the second half. I'm, I'm playing the second half. We're like, okay. So he comes out in the second half. I think he ended up with, like, I don't know exactly. I think he had 24 rebounds with, like, a busted nose, like, 
And every time he got a rebound, he was pointing to the Dallas bench, and he wouldn't stop. Like, he would not. We're up like 30, and he doesn't care. He's like diving in the stance. He's getting the ball. He's staring at him. I mean, he was like, when he got in that mindset, it was like, you ain't stopping him. He just had that crazy, he could read where the ball would come off. Like in practice, I always wanted to be on his three-on-three team because he didn't want to shoot. He said, my job is to rebound, Vinny. Your job is to shoot. I said, fine. You throw me the ball, I'll shoot. You go get it. That's great. And that's all he did. He'd have a layup. He'd throw it out, shoot it. So we always won three-on-three in practice. The last thing is I'll tell you about Dennis is we're playing at Indiana, and Indiana at the time had Reggie and Schmitz, and they had the uh, the Davis Dave. brothers, Dale and, and – uh, I can't think of his Antonio. name. Antonio Davis. Really tough physical guys, whatever. So <laughs> so we have our little team meeting, and I think Bob Hill was the coach at the time. I don't think it was Pop. It was early on. And uh, and uh, Bob's going over, hey, weak side, Dale Davis, Antonio Davis, they're killing. They get rebounds. They're kicking it out to Reggie for threes. Schmitz, da-da-da. We got to get back. Weak side defense. Vinny, Avery, you got to V back. Get into their legs. Dennis Dave, you got to come back over, whatever. So says it, and Dennis is like, okay. So now me and Avery are watching Dennis during, like, the shoot-around, and you can see, like, he's a little uh, pissed off, okay? He's, like, not, like, you know, and he wasn't a big shoot-around guy anyway. So we're like, okay. So after we bring it in, like, hey, anything wrong? So me and Avery are like, guys, me and Avery are going to V back on the weak side, but Antonio Davis and, and, and Dale Davis, man, they're big. We're going to put our butts in their knees, or we're going to try to ride them out and rebound. But if the ball comes off high – Okay, somebody's got to get over there with us, right? So we're just nudging them, nudging them, nudging them. Then before the game, they do the film. Bob Hill says it. Me and Avery say it again. And Dennis isn't saying a word. So we're like, me and Avery are laughing. We're like, Dennis is going to go crazy in this game, right? So we st- Dennis never said anything in a timeout. Before the timeout, we got to the middle of the court. Me, David, Avery, Sean, whatever it was, Chuck Person, whoever it was. And we're like, okay, ready to go. And Dennis goes, I'll never forget it. He goes, I got the two Davis boys tonight. He goes, I got the two of them like that. So me and Avery are laughing at each other like, shoot, he is going to go crazy, right? Because once he gets that mindset, he's going to get the ball. He's going to get the ball. So the end of the game stopped. The game goes, I think he got either, I think he got Dale Davis thrown out of the game or Antonio. I can't remember which one. He's shooting a free throw. (laughs) We're winning the game. We win the game. He's shooting a free throw, and he's yelling at the free throw line, V, and or to Avery or me. It's like, V, I thought you said these Dale, these Davis boys were tough. I thought they were good rebounders. One's in the locker room, and you can't do anything against me. What I mean, he was not – it was crazy. He was just nonstop. And I have the most respect because Dale Davis was a great player and Antonio Davis was a great player. But we had Dennis so riled up for that game, he was just – he wouldn't start diving in the stands, diving on the floor, getting every rebound – holding it, pointing at people. I mean, and you can say what you want about them. Myself, Avery, Sean, even David had the best years of our career with him. David won MVP. Uh, I mean, he was just a fantastic player. Everyone sees all the other stuff, but when he was locked in on the basketball court and if I had to play a game tomorrow and my life was dependent on it, he'd be one of my five for sure. Yeah, unbelievable teammate. All right, my next question is, tell another Dennis Rodman story. <laughs> no, that's inc- I, lo- I love hearing those. All right, my next real question is, all right, you get to choose one or the other, right? Yep. You can either come back to the NBA as a head coach and win a title, or 
You get your Champions Tour card and you win a major championship. Which would you prefer? Oh, NBA. Damn. Yeah, I would do NBA just because it's been my life. You know, I've had some opportunities as a player, been in the playoffs as a coach, but basketball's been my life, you know, since I was a kid, just dribbling a ball up and down, going to school and just everything I've been through from a basketball standpoint. And the game has been so great to me, um, you know. So, yeah, basketball. I love golf. I love that I have something uh, that I can play with, that I can enjoy, that I've been able to uh, meet so many people, so many, you know, I've played with Arnold Palmer. I just played with Annika Sorenstein. I just had the fortune of, of winning the American Century that I played in. I play, you know, with all great players out at Wisp Rock or traveling and play. And, you know, I've, I've done a lot of business on the golf course. So golf has been more than great to me, but my life has really been about basketball. Yeah, you won a major already. <laughs> yeah. All right, my last one. One last round of golf to play. Where's it going to be? And who are the other three people in the group? Wow, that's a tough one. Um, it would probably be uh, my favorite course that I've played, and I haven't played, obviously, all the courses you guys have, obviously, but I've played a, uh, uh, some really good ones. My favorite course is Pine Valley. For what I just like the whole environment there. I love that the first time I played there 15 years ago or whatever it was, when I went to lunch, I could tell you every hole and how they were all different. And I think there's very few courses where you can sit down after round there's always a few that kind of, um, but if, if it was me, it'd probably be Pine Valley. Um, obviously, I've, I've never I had the great honor of playing with uh, Mr. Palmer. Um, obviously, Annika, some of the great players, tons of tons of pros and, and tons of great players. But I've never played with Tiger. Um, you know, I've never played with. Uh, I've met Jack Nicklaus, but I've never played golf with him. Um, so, so those two for sure. Um, and I've and I've actually I've never. I've never played a round of golf with Phil and being a lefty, um, you know, I know Phil from basketball and he was sitting near the bench and seeing him out at Whisper Rock and saying hi or, you know, in some tournaments he's played in there and just kind of whatever. But I've actually never played with Phil. So being a lefty, that'd probably be fun. You know, Tiger, Phil, Jack, and myself at Pine Valley, I, I could, uh, that'd be a great day. Think how much you'd learn from Phil. He could teach you how to coach basketball along with rocket science yeah. and uh, yeah. brain surgery I, yeah, and whatever just, else the hell he wants to talk about. He's he's so funny. I mean, I watched that because uh, then I saw Aaron Rodgers. You know, he was in Tahoe. We were talking like, I was like, man, I was loving, you know, give, he, telling Phil, uh, you want to pick it up? We'll go to the next hole or whatever. I mean, you know, because Phil will give it to you, I know. So I love it. But uh, that's what makes it fun. You know, those guys, Aaron had such a such a fun time, played well um, in that match. And uh it's good for the game of golf. It's yeah. good for the game of golf. Absolutely. That'd be a good group. That'd be a hell of a day. Yeah. All right, last question. Have you ever had to carry a teammate more than a hungover Dan Marley <laughs> at the Whisper Rock member guest? Well, and I saw him. <clears throat> Boy was struggling. Um, yeah, well, no, we, we've had our – he's played well in some, I've played well in some. We've both played bad. We've played enough golf over the years in a bunch of tournaments. Um, we had fun at the Arizona um, Cup this year. Um, we did well in our flight. Uh, we got in this shootout. But, you know – We've played so many tournaments and so many things. Um, but, you know, Dan, Dan will get after it. I've actually – I don't think I've ever seen Dan drunk. I think he has a wooden leg. But he'll get after it a little bit. He's a heck of a golfer. He loves it. He's just got a uh, – I'll always, you know, text me. He's like, I just played St. Andrews today. I'm like – because he just put it, you know, like six months ago, he put a simulator in his house. So he's playing all the time. He's just – so I saw him like – he's like, I said, what's wrong with your elbow? He goes, man, I've been hitting so many balls in the simulator. I have to think my elbow is killing me. I said, well, maybe just tee it up and hit some woods or some drivers. 
But uh, he loves some golf, man, and he's competitive, and we always have a lot of fun playing. Yeah, you guys are a little dynasty. We play pretty dynasty good together. Guy. Yeah, we play pretty good together. Well, Vinny, we can't thank you enough, man. Congratulations on your huge win. I know Thanks. your pops is looking yeah. down on you, smiling yep. right now, but we thank you for the time, man. You guys always the best. Always fun to see Air you guys. Pound for Colt. Thanks, Thank Colt. You, so much. Yes, sir. you got it, buddy. Anytime. Appreciate you, man. Thanks, brother. All right. Well, that was Vinny Del Negro on Golf Subpar, the American Century champ. Best thing about Vinny D winning this thing is he gets to walk around Wrist Rock for the rest of the year and rub it in Mark Moeller's face. Yes. <laughs> Tough shit, Mark. That. You're not perfect anymore. Vinny's got the trophy. <laughs> I love it. And by the way, I mean, at Wrist Rock, too, right there uh, by Brent's desk, you know, they've, they've got the case with all the most recent winners you know you got Ches Reeve when he won Hartford you got John Rum who's going to need his own section yeah we're going to build a separate soon. wing for that yeah. kid but now Vinny gets his picture up on the trophy I wonder who they who they're going to bump out mm. there's only so much room in that spot that he's got to be like last in first out Tanagawa so. beat it yeah tough break son you're out of here yeah one we replace one major for the next my only regret in that whole thing was that we didn't get to Rodman earlier I think we could have yes. done four hours of Rodman stories which I would have been in for every second of those things. It's so cool. To, I, I never knew that that's where his idea of changing the color of his hair yeah. came from was Demolition, Demolition Man, Man and Wesley Snipes. Mm-hmm. Really cool. But I love that they had to get new pillows because Rodman ruined all of them. Yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Could have listened to those all day. I mean, what a dude. And even Vinny said, like, just a guy you want to go to war with. Every team needs a guy like that. Problem is, there ain't many like And a guy like Vinny, who I think, you know, could almost be like a Colin Morikawa of the basketball court where he thinks his way around. You know, he's not... The flashy guy or anything. Yeah, he ain't going to jump over he's, your head. He's a couple steps ahead of everybody else, it seems like. He knew how to get Rodman going, and I loved hearing that. Like, him, him and Sean Elliott, those guys, they knew. They're like, okay, we, if we just kind of wind him up a little bit here, out there, he's going to go nuts, and it's going to be very good for our team. Yeah, 100%. I mean, <laughs> yeah, Vinny's not the guy that's going to jump over your head and, and dunk on you and things like that, but you got Rodman sitting there, and you just wind him up a little bit and unleash him. I mean, fun, fun dude to watch. Wish we got a little more Rodman stories, but... Good sitting down with Vinny D. Uh, we'll see if he ends up coaching in the NBA uh, again in some capacity. But no matter what, he'll always be ACC champ. That's true. Cannot take it away from him. First hoopster to get it done. All right, Sleaze. Well, let's get to the gambling part where I continue to suck. Yeah, I mean, I don't understand. not hot. It's 118 degrees in Phoenix, and I'm colder than shit right now. It's it's really embarrassing. Justin Thomas, I'm sorry. I picked you. I mean, I'm going to start picking, like, the craziest names People that probably will never be on here, so that way I don't bring them down and they don't hate me for picking them. You scooped the top 40 out of JT for the oh, world number three. At least I Not made a bad. cut. Yeah, you got a check. But Brooks Kepka once again, got a little hot on Thank Sunday. You, yeah. Made a nice little run for a for a sixth-place finish, I believe. I believe that's uh, nine top tens in his last 11 majors. Yeah, and one of them was the Masters. The only major he didn't finish in the top ten this year was the Masters, where he couldn't even couldn't bend walk. over to read his putt. So, God. yeah, top ten in the other three. John Rahm, as the season ends, the only player to finish in the top ten. 10 in all four majors also led in cumulative scoring for the year a little not, side not fact. too bad not too yeah. bad all right producer mark uh it's getting the standings are getting a little out of hand i believe now yeah that t6 earned sleaze three hundred and eighty-six thousand five hundred dollars it's a in, lambo increasing his lead to one million two hundred thirty-two thousand one hundred and forty-one dollars. a lot of money dollars <laughs> this thing has gone really south for me <laughs> since the u.s open when <laughs> With John Rahm. Hot yeah. plate. Hot plate. It's, uh, it's been a little rough. But, How many more yeah. events do we have? Um, Still doable. Yeah. By the way, we messed up. We didn't we didn't take anybody in the Barbasol this week. We should have done that. Pick guys in I would have had Seamus Power. I was big on oh, Seamus. Okay, just give thing. him Seamus. Yeah, I'll take Seamus. Stack that up. Yeah, two million, we'll call it. All right. Well, this week we got the 3M. I will be there for Golf Channel and CBS on the call. Um, TPC Golf Course, big, wide open golf course. You can smash it. Saw Michael Thompson win there last year and said, 
he's going to contend every week from now on. That's right. Kind of an anomaly <laughs> in terms of that golf course. Like yeah. that's a Michael Thompson type setup. But, but yeah, I did Wolf say he was going to contend yeah. every week. Uh, you know, give it time. It's only been a year. This is where Matthew Wolf uh, broke out, got his first PGA yeah. Tour win in incredible fashion over Colin Morikawa and Bryson DeChambeau. Good to see Colin and, put that in his rear view and he, get over that one. He did. He got over it pretty quickly. <laughs> but really good field. Yeah. I believe Dustin Johnson in the field um, among a lot of other top players. But you have the honor. Yep. Who are we going with? I was going to pick somebody that wasn't coming back from the Open Championship just because the back and the fourth, and you know, you use a lot of energy in a major championship, but ultimately I decided not to. There's not that many weeks left, and I'm going to go with the guy that showed some nice form over there, finished 15th, including a final round 67, also hits the shit out of it, so this should be a good golf course for him. I'm going to go Tony Finau. I haven't used him yet. There's not that many weeks left. This feels like a good type of a place Tony could pick off that second dub. I agree, and I like it. And if you remember, last year... Our man Boyd Summerhays actually had to fill in on the bag. Boyd, who doesn't wear shorts too often, oh my God. had some lobster legs going out there after day one. It was unbelievable. He stole the show. Forget Michael Thompson winning. Boyd Summerhays' sunburn was the talk of the tour that week. He wears, he wears the long socks like the kid. I respect that. You know, he got the socks up, all black, everything for Boyd all the time. They were up to the middle of the shins. They were Ooh. pretty long. And the, the his legs, he was sending the pictures afterwards. I mean, it looked, it looked paint. That's like the type of burn that, like, you can't get in the shower. You know mm, those types? Yeah. It was, I mean, and he's never in shorts, obviously. So now he's caddying. Like, hey, dog, they got sunscreen on the I, tees. How do you forget you that? You know, I try to keep the dome tanned out a little bit even, but sometimes you get a little too much and it's burnt. When that shower hits it, that hot water, it feels like needles are stabbing. A light you. burn on the Ooh. dome. I've seen Stadler employ that too. You need a light burn every, just to let it know that it's alive. Mm. But you can shake off a light burn. This was like third degree amputation style burn on those legs from Boyd. All right, well, you're going Tony Fino. I'm going with another big hitter, a place that I feel like should set up so well for this guy. Dog legs, he can hook it around corners, fade it around corners, smash it all over the place, and he should be rested because he got absolutely screwed and wasn't able to go over to the Open Championship and play. And I'm going with Bubba Watson, who's been playing some great golf, you know, was up there at the Travelers, had a disastrous last six holes, then comes back, plays the great final round at Detroit, which was his last event to top five it. I'm looking for him to continue this. Bubba Watson, I need you. I need you. He's vaccinated and he tests negative. Maybe they'll let him in the field this week. All right. Well, I sure hope so. <laughs> That'd be nice. Dear God, I just want this thing to be interesting coming down the stretch. All right. Well, thank you to everyone for listening. We'll talk to you on next week's Golf Subpar. <laughs>